Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show. Joining me as always on Thursdays, Dwayne, generally Simo Patterson, master of the universe, H-U-G-H-N-I-P-E-R-S-E.com, troll-free web surfing experience for Hugh Hewitt fans and listeners. Just coming off of doing his show last night, uh, first thing in the morning on Thursdays, of course, we uh, we do my show. And uh, Dwayne, uh, first off, thanks as always for having me on on your show on Wednesday nights, and thanks for coming on here this morning. Always a pleasure. Good to be back. So the big story this morning, Donald Trump gave an exclusive interview to Josh Dawsey over at the Washington Post. And the first question that came to my mind was, why? why? <laughs> exactly. Go ahead. Why? Uh, what what do you what do you gain out of that? Uh, Washington Post is fake news. Um, I, I, I don't know. I guess there is some kind of calculated um, uh, cost-benefit analysis that goes on his, in his head uh, why he does interviews like this. Um, it does him no good. It, honest, it, it honestly doesn't. I know he thinks he's going to keep his base, um, <clears throat> his, his red hats all spun up about the election. But uh, again, what, what does that really gain him at this point? Well, I mean, I think there's a couple things. First off, um, although I'm I'm with you, I'm I'm thinking um, really. I mean, what's the point here? Um, one is that I think he's bored, and I think it comes out towards the end of the interview. He's talking about that uh, he thinks that uh, I think he's trying to say that the political climate is boring. In the Not United enough States. people are talking to him. Basically, I think that's what it is. I think he's I think he's feeling bored and he's feeling isolated. Um, and he wants the attention. Uh, number two, I think what he's trying to do, Dwayne, is he's trying to uh, trying to you know, kick into gear the same sort of media exploitation strategy that he ran in 2015 to great effect. You know, uh, thanks in large part, I think, to Jeff Sucker, who's no longer around to to participate in that. But I mean, I think that that's part of what the issue is here is that he wants to sort of restart this um, this uh, whole um uh, you know, um, redoing of uh, of this sort of media on you know avalanche that just lifted him above you know head and shoulders above everybody else, made everybody okay, else look so like ankle biters. Let's 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 walk through let's walk through this through and because it it's an interesting discussion when when you deal with media because I firmly am in in the belief that in 2016. People like, uh, or, or, or outlets like MSNBC and CNN, they adored having Trump on in the primary. Uh, they, they, it was all Trump all the time because they wanted Donald Trump to be the nominee, the lefties on those cable outlets. They were thinking, could the Republicans be that stupid to nominate Donald Trump? Because if they if they if they bypass all these other people and put Donald Trump in there against Hillary Clinton, she's going to clean his clock. Right. And it, the second that he got the nomination, they instantly turned on him thinking, well, there's no way there's no way he's going to be president. And of course, reality bit him in the ass. Right. Well, and I think that the reason why reality bit him in the ass 
is because they're not very aware of their consumers, right? I think that Correct. these guys were saying, I, I think in the beginning, they're showing this as sort of like you said, oh, you know, wouldn't it be fun to have Donald Trump go up against Hillary Clinton and watch watch her absolutely kick let's, his ass? Yeah, let, let's pick the Republicans, you know, nominee forum. Right, of sort of what Claire McCaskill did with Todd, Todd Aiken, right? I mean, in, in, yeah. a, in a way, but this is media rather than the candidate doing it. But, right. but I think that they thought after that, right, the more we show of Donald Trump, the more ridiculous he's going to look to voters, and the, the fewer voters are are going to um, uh, are going to support him. But what I don't I don't think they actually appreciated was that a lot of voters really liked what Donald Trump had to say. A lot of voters really liked the idea of uh, sticking it to the Clintons and sticking it to the uh, political establishment. I think these guys in 2015 and especially in 2016 were locked in their own sort of academic slash media elite circles. Uh, sort of doing the, you know, apocryphal Pauline Kale, uh, you know, sort of routine is I well, I can't imagine anybody looking at this and thinking that this is a great idea. Well, so vast, so, vast numbers of people thought this is exactly what we need. So during the primary process, I'm not talking about the 2016 entire general race. Yes. The primary process, mainstream media, the Beltway bubble, the you know, the, the Manhattan Beltway media, they were looking the other way when it came to the betting process of Donald Trump, right? Because they had a right. vested interest in kind of overlooking the personal foibles thinking, could it be, could, 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 could it be that they actually put this guy through? And if they put this guy through, then we'll drop the hammer on him. Well, it wasn't enough, but now let's flash forward to 2024. I know that there's people in the media in the same beltway media that were thinking they're not, they, they wouldn't nominate him again, would they? But what's different between this time and what happened in 2016, I can't imagine anybody in the media giving Donald Trump a pass or giving a, a, any, any kind of um, oxygen without trying to, to slam him in the primary process. I don't think Donald Trump's going to have anywhere near the 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 open backfield that he had during the primary process in 2016 what do you think i don't think he's going to get the same kind of media um wall-to-wall -wall media coverage either i, I mean I honestly so either. because i i just think that you know this is something that he was a novelty i mean there was some actual reason for that right. in 2015 he, right he was a novelty he's going to have nothing but headwinds all the way up now he likes to claim that you know I did this, I did that, I did everything in the campaign. It was all me, 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 me. I, I, I get all the shtick. But he got through that primary process. It wasn't just him that navigated that field. He got he got a lot of help from media to get through that primary oh, yeah. process. He's not gonna get an ounce of daylight in in twenty-four if he puts his hat in the ring. And I'm not sure he clears a a, a Republican field. Now his core base is still going to be there, but there's a lot of people. There's a lot of females. There's a lot of women, suburban uh, women and and uh, seniors that jumped on the bandwagon in 2016 that aren't going to jump on the bandwagon this time because he was a little too off-putting for them. Well, I, again, because there's a track record now, right? I mean, yeah. it, I mean, this is and this is this is the reason why I think that he's talking to the to the Washington Post um, because he wants to kickstart that. He wants to try to 
generate the tension that's going to allow for uh, that kind of coverage again. Um, but I think that this is going to be Donald Trump's problem in, in, in 2020. I'm not saying that it's our 2024, I, I should say. I, I, I'm not saying that it's something he can't overcome. I mean, he can certainly switch to a more traditional campaign. But by the time he gets there, by the time he gets to 23, 24 and announces he's going to run, there's nothing new he's really going to offer. It's the same Trump shtick, and that shtick is not novel anymore. It's right. seven, eight-year-old shtick. Yeah. Uh, and again, I mean, I think this is, then he runs into the same problem that Hillary Clinton had in 2016, which is that she was offering a campaign that was entirely based on her and her grievances. Right. And 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 he ends and, up and, back in that and trap. And lo and behold, what was that interview about today with the Washington Post? Him and his him and his grievances, well, <laughs> for the okay, most part. That, yeah, I mean, well, it was about it was it, the, the only real news here, right? In this, the only real news news in this thing was that he wanted to march to the Capitol with the crowd, but the Secret Service wouldn't let him. Um, and and that he's complaining about the reports of the crowd size, which actually nobody gives a shit about uh, sorry nobody gives a, a, a rat's rear end about what happened on one six <laughs> nobody cares yeah i mean i think that i think that that really just does play against his because that's the that's the tack he should be taking nobody really cares about this i'm not going to talk about this cares. because if i had nothing to do with what happened if at you the capitol go around the, if you go around the country and you start to pull average people even in blue states in all over the country what's what's you and I can probably come up with the top five issues that people care about the most that they're going to be voting based off of. What's, Inflation. What's one? Inflation's number one. Economy. Right. Econ more broadly, Economic the economy. Issues, but right. inflation is really the big Gas issue. Gas prices, here. inflation, yeah. food prices, right. All that stuff. So that's number one. What else is going to be in there? Crime. Crime is going to be in there. Crime's going to be in there. Uh, uh, parental involvement in education. You the, bet the, you. The Glenn Youngkin. The, the Glenn ed, Youngkin. Education issue. is going to be in there. What else is going to be in there? I think national security might intrude a little bit more now, now that immigration. Uh, What's going on? Well, okay, immigration. Yeah, immigration. You're right, but I think and, that, and I can fold. I can fold that even into national security. Well, of course, because the southern border, but when I'm talking about national security, I'm talking more about what's going on in Russia, Ukraine, the EU, that sort of thing. See, I would think foreign policy, but, but okay. That's yeah, foreign, pol foreign policy broadly, yes. I'll say foreign policy broadly. I think it's going to matter a little bit more in this election than some, than it, not in the midterms, but in the um, 2024 presidential cycle. Um, and, you know, we talked a little bit about foreign policy in there. We talked about making endorsements in Hungary. Right, which is really inappropriate. Right, <laughs> I mean, it really is. And uh, interestingly, Dossie never even brings that up. I mean, he's providing sort of analysis as he's also relating the interview, right? But he never right. brings up the fact that it's. I mean, uh, Trump Trump brags about endorsing uh, Viktor Orban in Hungary, and and saying that's the reason why he won the election, which. I, I doubt very seriously that that's the case, but it's inappropriate but, for for presidents and former presidents to be issuing endorsements in foreign elections. We don't like it when they do it in ours, right? And and so in, in all this stuff that is actually affecting people's lives, it's impacting how they go about doing their uh, you know their their their, their daily lives. Um, nowhere in there is anybody caring about one six. I mean, no. honestly, if you walk around, if you walk around and you say, can you name me everybody that's on the committee? Can you name me five people that's on the committee? Can you name me the Republicans that are on the committee? 
If you walk around, I could probably answer that third question. I'll be honest with you. I'm, you know, I'm immersed in politics 24 seven and I couldn't even really tell you who's on that right. committee other than Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. Those are the only two members I know. That only are on that because committee. only because media is is celebrating them as Republicans right. against Trump. Right. Or because, also, and also because some of our allies are are excoriating them for for because, participating in the process. Yeah. Because they are the, the Democrats have gone all in. We we talked about this last night. It's like yeah. a it's like a you know you know one of the last uh, uh, Texas Hold'em poker hands. Right. You've only got a handful of chips left. You, you're you're down in the game. And and you've got just a you've got at least a decent hand or you think you've got a decent hand. And so you're going all in and you look at you're looking at that hand and it's really about a pair of fours. And what that hand is, is the Democrats really think that their ace, their 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 magic hand that they're going to win in November, um, in spite of the uh, congressional generic ballot, in spite of the. The money mismatch that's going on in spite of of um, all the campaign issues that are just going awry. What they think they're going to win on is we're going to make this uh, election about Trump. If, if we make this about one six and we make this about Trump, every Republican running, I don't care who it is, every Republican running, we're going to run a commercial that says, if you vote for this person, you're voting for Trump. And that alone is how we're going to win this election. Look at what happened in New Jersey. Yeah. Phil, you know, uh, Phil Murphy came within a gnat's eyelash of losing that race. And that wasn't on anybody's radar, right? Right. Um, look what happened in Virginia. Glenn Youngkin was not supposed to beat Terry McAuliffe. Right? Right. Yep. Because that's a blue state. I mean, it wasn't. I mean, the polling showed it to be a, a, a little closer than people expected, but uh, but McAuliffe was still expected to win that one going into because, election night. I think people were because because that's that a that was a blue state. The Democrats own Virginia forever, but with you know with Nova, we've got that thing down. We're never going to lose Virginia again. Um, and, and you look at a lot of these bellwether things. We talked about these uh, this last night in Norman, Oklahoma, a, a liberal yep. enclave within Oklahoma. A, a community that voted for Joe Biden by nine points in Oklahoma, which went way for, for Trump as a state. Uh, they elected a Republican mayor for the first time in, in forever last night. You look at school uh, board districts all over the, uh, the upper Midwest. In, uh, in, in Waukesha, Wisconsin, two liberal members of a school board got bounced and three conservatives got uh, stuck on there uh, last night. I can't imagine why. It had nothing to do with with one six. Why those elections went that way? Nope, nope, not at all. And you know, I mean, the, the Kenosha thing I think is even is is even more dramatic because of what happened with Black Lives Matter and Kenosha, Agreed. Agreed. the Rittenhouse thing. I mean, again, I think that this is a we're certainly seeing bellwethers in the midterms. But I'll, I'll say this before we move off to anything else. Uh, first off, I think in part this is because Donald Trump's a little bored down at Mar-a-Lago. He he likes being the center of attention, and he hasn't been for the last 15 months. Um, and I think he actually likes being at the center of attention. I don't think that's a big surprise to anybody. But I will also say this. When was the last time you and I spent the first 15 minutes of this podcast talking about Donald Trump? I get it. I understand it. Right? I, I mean, I, that's it's effective. And and if, if he had given this interview to the Washington Examiner, 
which is in the same town, right? Right. Would we be talking about it? If you given this interview to uh, Breitbart or to Hot Air, right? Or or, or or to Hugh Hewitt. I mean, Hugh has him on from time to time. Would he, would he be getting this kind of attention? Right. Absolutely not. Here's what else I will uh, I will tell you. How many people do you think, how did, did he move the needle today? Did did he, did, did anybody say, oh yeah, that guy, I forgot he was president before. Boy, you know, now that I've looked at Joe, Trump would be a whole lot better. And yep, I think I'm going to go vote for him again. Do you, I mean, honestly, do you think he moves the needle by bringing up, yeah, I should have marched and, and, and gone to the Capitol too? I don't think he moves the needle in terms of voter choice, but we're not at the voter choice point either. I think he moves the needle back into, if you want to think of it as sort of an Overton window sort of um, sort of strategy, I think he moved the needle back to, I'm important. I'm, uh, I, I'm, I am a, I'm a top story. I am somebody that you should be considering on a, on a daily basis. Um, well, and, I'm, and I'm to, serious. I'm a serious person. I mean, and, and to be fair and to be fair, I, I get that we spent the first 15 minutes on it, but look at the time 16 that, minutes and counting by the way <laughs> but look at the time we're recording this broadcast and when the story came out if well, the story was if the story came out two days ago would we be spending that much time no probably it? not this much time but it, I mean, that's a news cycle critique it's not a critique. part of the reason we're spending 16 minutes on it is because the story just came out right yes but again, news cycle critique, not really a, a critique Fair. of his strategy. Fair. All right, let's move on to Ukraine because there is some interesting stuff, um, a few interesting developments in Ukraine. It does look like the Russians have, at least for the moment, abandoned their attempts to capture um, Kiev. Kiev and uh, and Kharkiv as well. Um, they're, I think they're going to try to come back around through uh, Belarus all the way back around and attack Donbass. Are they going to clean up their mess on the way out? Uh, by are, which you mean, like, like pick up all their trash and and, and are, are they going to clean up? Are they going to no. clean up all the debris on their way out? No, but I'm wondering if they might not be a little bit more well, circumspect pretty... about leaving bodies in the road. That's pretty rude, isn't it, to, to go in and, and mess up somebody else's house and 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 not clean it up on your way out? You mean you mean liberate? They 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 were liberating those oh. areas. It was oh, a glorious I liberation. I see. I see um, that. Yeah. didn't. I mean, first off, I'm skeptical that they're going to pull this off. But I mean, Zelensky went back to the EU and and was and and demanded some stronger action. The EU has responded, Dwayne, by saying that they're going to cut off Russian coal in August. Maybe they're going to yes, and they're going to they're going to lock out Sberbank, which is um, one of the major Russian um, financial institutions, by uh, the end of the year. <laughs> right. Which, you know, I mean, we're I mean, I'm a... laughing, but this is, I mean, it's this sort of stupid incrementalism that, yeah. and Zelensky makes this argument too. It's this kind of stupid incrementalism that's actually encouraging Putin to try to accelerate things so that he can get this thing settled before these thing before the you know the EU and the U.S. to some didn't extent. Didn't I? Didn't I read? Out. Didn't I read that they're like within 30 days of defaulting? Russia is. On, on a yes, lot of stuff. the clock is running. I mean, I almost wanted to do this like from Apollo 13, that fine right. movie. Um, the clock is running. Um, they tried to pay off a um, one of their major debt uh, bond payments in rubles rather than dollars, which, you know, the, the, the contract was in dollars. 
And technically, that starts a 30-day window for a default. So yes, they're technically in the window for a default now. Um, so when we're talking about sanctioning financial things by the end of the year, that may be kind of a moot point by the time we get there. It, well, it could be, except that I don't could think be. the default. I don't think a default is no, but I'm, the biggest but I, issue here because I mean the. Yeah, they're going to default on their bond payments, which is going to screw up their ability to get investments for the next, you know, quarter century or so. But they're still getting income from sales of coal they, and natural gas. And oil. They are still right. They're still getting income. But what I'm saying is, is they've got a lot more financial problems to worry about than than this particular sanction. That's that's that's. Well, I would actually argue that that's not the case, because what they really need is income and preferably in in hard currency, although they're taking it in rubles because they need to be able to produce so, material to, so, to replace what so they're losing. Then what you do is you you ban the sale of you ban the sale of, of, of coal, gas, and and oil immediately. You don't you don't incrementalize it, which, but, which is what the EU is refusing to do. And there's a reason right. for that, right? And I mean, this is something I, I it just went up while we've been talking. I wrote about this. The, the reason about the reason why they can't do it <clears throat> is because they don't have any other options because they've allowed themselves to. To get shut, back into a corner, right? Yeah, well, they, they've addicted themselves to cheap Russian energy rather than produce their own themselves. And now they're talking about, you know, expanding nuclear power. Germany's talking about reopening its nuclear program. You know, France already UK, has a robust. U, UK is going to build seven new yeah, you, uh, new plants. They're going to build seven new plants, but that takes years. Right. <laughs> you don't get you don't erect those in a month, right? You don't even erect them by the end of August. Right. And the problem that the problem that um, EU leaders have right now, uh, they have two problems. One's called summer, the other's called winter, right? <laughs> yes. And I mean, even with the cheap energy, people die in su in summer heat in Europe. I mean, because they don't have the kind of air, con they don't have universal air conditioning in Europe like the, in the way we do here. Um, and, Did, and didn't we get to last summer, didn't we get to a, 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 a stunt where they were relying on windmills uh, in Europe and um, the winds stopped blowing for yep. like a, a week and they didn't have any power. Yep. Didn't have enough power. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and we've been telling them for years. I mean, since the, since Russia invaded Georgia in 2008, everybody should have understood what Putin was about. And we've argued you and I have are, are in agreement on that. And should it should have taken should have taken, uh, you know, get some kind of backup plan in place and not rely on an unstable form of energy or, and just simply not purchase it in the first right. place develop your own energy it should have been energy right. independent by this point in time after you know that was what 14 years ago the or 13 and a half years ago with uh russia's invaded uh georgia in that 13 and a half years they should have been moving towards energy independence to a point right. where it, they could easily cut russia off at this right point. And, and, they, and, they and if that wasn't a big enough wake-up call what <clears throat> russia did in, in crimea and that was know, eight years ago that was even eight years ago. You could still be on the road to independence by that point. I mean, they could have arrived. They could have arrived at the destination and have been having cocktails at the at the poolside bar of energy Correct. independence in eight years. I mean, Correct. they won't they won't drill for oil. They won't dig for coal. They won't they won't frack they for could, natural they, gas. But they they could have popped up nuclear power plants all over the place. Yeah, they could have popped up nuclear power plants all over the place. Yeah, I mean, and this is part of the hypocrisy too of saying, well, we're not going to drill, we're not going to frack, but we're going to buy from people who drill and frack. <laughs> okay, okay, I, I, I I'm at a loss as to what it is that you think you're gaining. It makes here. it makes no sense. 
Um, it, it's 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 as stupid as Joe Biden going to Canada and saying, hey, you know, could you do us a solid and, and maybe produce a little bit more oil um, after we totally screwed them by reneging on the Keystone Pipeline deal, which right. wasn't just a it wasn't just a, you know, we're going to hurt a pipeline company thing. It hurt Canada, too. It hurt Canada. It hurt um, it hurt people in um uh in the united states you know workers who would be working on pipelines workers yep. who would yeah i mean absolutely yep uh, so yes I, to me i think that um it's just it's there's a lot of short-sightedness on energy policy the u.s has its own short-sightedness on energy policy but the u.s at least spent a few years warning uh the eu and specifically germany not to get entangled in russian um energy exports you know the whole I mean, Nord Stream 2 we know, draw, uh, we know for at least four years uh rick Rennell, when he, or, or you know several years while he was ambassador to germany he was desperate trying to get them to be serious with nato number one and two don't don't do that Nord Stream uh deal right. don't do it don't do it don't do it and they they pushed it all the way up until the time that Russia invaded Ukraine and even then incrementalized their way away from it, right? Uh, at first, it was what well, we're going to hold the permits up for a while, I, you know. But at least to be fair, you know, when they had their election, they brought in this new German chancellor. Um, yeah, Schultz. When, when Schultz. They, yeah, when, when they when they brought in Schultz, you know, he was he was going along, you know, oh, you bet, Nord Stream. Yeah, he's 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 he, a little he's clearer changed, than Angela Merkel. He's changed, he's changed his tune, and he and he's he's actually not just changed the tune. He said, um, "Boy, I misread Putin. I I I had that thing all wrong." So yeah. he seems to have become a believer now. But you know that that horse has kind of escaped. It, it, it's long out of the barn. It's been out of the barn for for fourteen years, guys. Yeah, uh, I mean, this is who Putin is. It's who Putin always has been. He's a Russian imperialist, and uh, we were eventually going to get to this point. Uh, regardless, he was going to eventually try to take over Ukraine. Um, one way or the other and um in in uh, try to either incorporate it or uh puppetize it in the way that he's done with belarus right so i mean this is uh, I, in fact he already did it again we've mentioned this before in 2014 so yeah the, the problem here i think is that the west really you know this is something barack obama said yesterday and i'm not inclined usually to to quote Barack Obama, because I think he's actually part of this problem too. But he's correct in saying that this has sort of demonstrated how flabby and, um, uns I, I, he didn't use the word unserious, but I'll use the word unserious, Western democracies have become in, in operating geopolitics. And that brings us to the Iran deal, right? <laughs> We've only got a couple of minutes left, but I mean, I, I don't know if you saw Obama's critique about um, Western democracies and, and international organizations and how they need to wake up to this. And I actually think that he's correct about this. And I think that the Iran deal is a really great example of this, especially Joe Biden's pursuit of it, because who's, who's the guy who's acting as interlocutor for the Iran deal. It's Vladimir Putin. Public enemy. Number one, right. It's right? Vladimir Putin, the war criminal, the guy that Joe Biden says cannot remain in power. Re regime change. War criminal. Vlad is, is the one that's uh, negotiating on on our behalf because the iranians won't deal with us directly right uh that's just spectacular and you had 15 house democrats yesterday stand up and say why are we letting a war crime why are we outsourcing our national security vis-a-vis -vis iran to a right. war criminal 
And so, and so because we're doing that, because we are committing geopolitical suicide by, by doing this deal with Iran, uh, brokered by the, by the, the same Russians that are doing Ukraine atrocities, we had the Abraham Accords set up in place, and the Middle East was on a trajectory that none of us thought was possible before Joe Biden, right? Right. Now, because of this, the the Arab part of the Middle East is so pissed off at us right now. I mean, so pissed off at us. Saudi Arabia, Oman, there are a handful of Arab states that are now contemplating doing a regional defense pact alliance. You want to guess with who they're, they're, they're uh, negotiating with now to do a, a, a mutual defense pact? Um, who? China. Yeah. Yeah. That was unthinkable uh, 15 months ago, 18 months ago. I mean, the Solomon Islands uh, just signed a security agreement with China. Right. The Solomon Islands, right off of, right off of, you know, Australia, New Zealand. I mean, that. Right. You know, it's. it's, they, it's I mean, it's not. It's not as though the U.S. spent a whole lot of its blood and treasure trying to liberate the Solomon Islands from another, you know, uh, I, East Pacific ab- prosperity ab- sphere, right? <laughs> absolutely. And so, what we have done is by the pursuit of this deal, for an inexplicable reason. I mean, I don't. I don't know if it's short-sighted because we think we want to buy Iranian oil. Or it's just pure ego that we are hell-bent to make sure that Barack Obama was right all the way along by trying to, to negotiate this to begin with. And they're, they're just trying to you know, do this for ego purpose. You know, who knows why we're, we're so hell-bent of, of trying to do this when everything is pointing against it. But by doing that, we have now alienated and driven allies that we have even tactical allies that we have all over the world that were on a good trajectory as far as relationships with, with the u.s we are now driving them into the hands into partnership with with china which is our biggest geopolitical ally or our, our, our uh, adversary right it's insane it's, it's just insane it's insane it's 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 incoherent it's... and all the while and all the while offering a budget where we are actually cutting the military in real time right reducing the size of the navy great it's great it's idea just perfect yeah great idea all right Dwayne. well we're out of time what's coming up um what's coming up for you tonight on the uh, after show in the universe and what's coming up tomorrow in the Hugh Hewitt i show? actually have to go umpire a little league game oh that's and... right and throws and and hopefully throw a kid. I got I got to eject a kid last uh, last Saturday. I, I got to eject my first kid in uh, in a couple of years. Kid dropped an f bomb on me on the field. Twelve year old kid. Well, Didn't you know where you out. learned it from. You know where you learned it from. Uh, well, I'm sure I know where he learned it from. He learned it from watching the uh, Ed Morrissey Show podcast with Wayne. <laughs> I, I I didn't I didn't drop an f bomb today. <laughs> I didn't pull a Garrity. <laughs> Garrity cleaned up his act. I had Garrity on was it, a couple of weeks ago. He cleaned up his act. <laughs> well, I, I know, but, but Garrity drops those more than I do. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Okay, so so tonight, no after show. What's coming up tomorrow in the Hugh Hewitt show? And when is it that, I am, that I'm uh, going to be doing some fill-in work for you guys? I, I got to get uh, those dates from you. Uh, well, I, I'll give you the dates again, but uh, we are going to be afloat. We are going to uh, Paris for a listener cruise 
from the 18th through the 30th. So we fly out on a Monday. And um, so there's 10 broadcast days. We're not going to be on the air. It's the day after Easter. And of those 10 days, it's about a six, four split. I think of days that we're supposed to try to broadcast from on board this boat um, in which those days, because I don't trust the tech, you are going to fill in and co-host with you so that if we go the way of all things, you can step in and do the show. The days that I know that we are flying and we're not going to even try to broadcast, uh, Kurt Schlichter is going to come in and break the furniture with the, with the boys here in studio. Yeah, Kurt's doing some so that's, filling work for Seb too, right? He's uh, going to be filling in, uh, I think he's going to be on tomorrow for Seb. Yeah, yeah. So stay tuned on that one too, because uh, Kurt's always a lot of fun. I, I love I love Kurt in the in the booth. So, uh, so yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, again, what's coming up on tomorrow's Hugh Hewitt show? Uh, tomorrow's Hugh Hewitt show, we are going to have, of course, a thing with uh, Larry Arn, and uh, we are going to have a uh, conversation with a um, uh, David McCormick, who is. Where is he running for? I uh, think Pennsylvania State's uh, uh, U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania. I, I think, yeah, I think he's uh, the perceived front runner now for the Republicans in Pennsylvania for Senate. We're going to talk to uh, David McCormick tomorrow. We got to we got to hold that Pennsylvania seat. I mean, that's yeah. that's that's an absolute that's an absolute imperative. We have to hold that seat if uh, if we're going to have a good night uh, in the Senate in November. Agreed. So that should be an interesting interview. Stay tuned tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Eastern time, 5 a.m. in God's time zone, 3 a.m. on the left coast for that interview with uh, Hugh Hewitt and David McCormick. Very important interview. As uh, And uh, stay tuned on Friday night for uh, Dwayne's after show as well. He's not on tonight, but he will be back tomorrow night. And I got lilacs on on Fridays, right? Uh, normally I have lilacs on. Um, I'm actually going to be going to the uh the upper northeast i'm going to be going almost as far out of uh, uh, to, to the point of no return in this country as i can possibly get to do some studio maintenance in a uh, new location so i am going to uh the place where i'm going the contractor that's building this place out where i'm going to be doing some studio work right the, the contractor there said oh you're gonna love it here you're gonna absolutely love it here we have just shifted seasons here. We're no longer in mud season. We have now moved into black fly season. <laughs> well, there you go. So that's where good I'm luck going. with that, Dwayne. Dwayne Gentilissimo Patterson heading off to uh, to the black fly infestation uh, coming up soon. So, all right, Dwayne. Well, thanks for being with us, and thanks, everyone, for being with us as well. We'll be back with more from the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast edition. And uh, joining me now is my good friend, A.J. Kaufman. Uh, He is at alphanewsmn.org, I believe it is, right? Alphamnnews.org? Yes, sir. That's right. He's doing some great work over there and uh, he's too smart to be on Twitter. So I don't have to hand out a Twitter. I don't have to hand out a Twitter handle, but AJ, great to be talking with you again. As always, you know, we, we do this on a fairly regular basis. You got some great commentaries going at uh, alphanewsmn.org. Um, let's start off. Um, let's start off with Ukraine. And I want to start off with a column that you wrote about um, 
Biden's Warsaw gaffe, right? And this is something that you just put up, I think. Uh, this one came out today, I think, as we're recording this. Is that correct? Yesterday at the lid and a similar version, but not the same, similar at IsraelNationalNews.com uh, this, this evening in Israel, so just a few hours ago. So That's the link I have. That's the reason why I've got the date on that. Yes. Lidblog.com, though, because uh, AJ also uh, writes for uh, Jeff over there, Jeff Dunnitz, great friend of mine and a great friend of, uh, of, the, of the show. Um, first off, explain what the gaffe was in Warsaw and why you might think that it's not maybe as bad as, as some are making it out to be. Well, you know, it's been called a gaffe. People can debate whether it's actually a gaffe. Some may call it an ad lib statement, but it was, the president gave a speech a week ago, Saturday. So 11 days ago in Poland, and it was an evening speech there in Europe and midday here. I don't know what kind of viewership it got. But I thought it was a pretty good speech as someone who tends to be fairly hawkish and, and, and likes to be involved in international affairs. I thought it was a pretty good speech by Joe Biden levels. You know, he slurred his words here and there, but he certainly the, whoever wrote it did a good job. Um, but of course, he ended with the famous, infamous, famous, whatever you want to call it, line, um, for God's sake, this man cannot remain in power. That man being the tyrant Vladimir Putin. Right. I didn't when I heard it, I didn't think much of it but immediately his staffers most of whom i have to admit are probably you know under 35 under 40 and i think sometimes amateurs rush to walk the words back they're used to walking biden's words back i realize but the question is did they need to walk these words back i mean they said they were very clear in saying that those nine words did not mean we were going to pursue regime change which is a famous term that people get scared of when they hear and somewhat understandably but to you know biden's speech really analogize the the current war in Russia to Cold War. You know, I think right. that's reasonable. And Putin is a war criminal. He we, we don't need to talk about what's happened all across Ukraine, especially recently with the mass graves and the hospitals being bombed. No one wants him to remain in power, I don't think. But there was controversy that Biden said that because words do matter. I get that. And these were unscripted and people thought they would lead us down a dangerous path. Uh, I don't think we can be down a much more dangerous path than what we see that's going on. I don't think it's going to affect Putin's horrible efforts in Ukraine, and they'll justify whatever they do anyway. I don't think Putin was really affected by it. Um, so that's my general take, that I don't think the gaffe, if you will, was that terrible. Well, I think what it did, though, and I, I, I tend to agree with you in the broad strokes, right? I didn't even really see it as much as a gaffe as I, I saw it as sort of an undisciplined moment because I don't think it's a gaffe. A gaffe is, you know, calling yourself vice president when you're president, you know, <laughs> that's a gaffe, you know, uh, referring to Michelle Obama as vice president. That's a gaffe. Those are things that, you know, kind of came up this week with Joe Biden. This week in Joe Biden. Um, this isn't a gaffe. This is, I think, though, an undisciplined moment. And the reason why I think the White House was so anxious to claw this back, just as they were initially with the war criminal thing, is because those words have consequences that the White House wasn't prepared to deal with, right? Um, when you call Vladimir Putin a war criminal as president, right? And the same thing would be true with Antony Blinken had he done it. Um, that sets in motion some legal requirements. There, I mean, there's there are legal consequences inside the United States, for making those declarations. If you have a finding that somebody's a war criminal, then all of a sudden there's a number of diplomatic and uh, economic things that you have to do that they may not have been prepared to follow up on. Um, this is, it's not quite the same thing as Redline because Redline's really public, but I mean, it's, 
in a similar sort of cast. And uh, the same thing is true of saying that this man cannot remain in power. And I think that issue had more to do with our Western allies and especially with um, playing into the hands of Vladimir Putin by saying that regime change and, you know, the decapitation of the, um, of the um, uh, Russian government was the Western aim all along. And I think when you have the president of the United States making the point that, you know, Putin's got to go, it makes it a little easier for Putin to tell his own people and their own propaganda, oh, hey, look, you know, this is, this is, this is really what the end game has been all about all along. And that's something that the White House also wasn't prepared to deal with. I think you're right. It's certainly it's not a gaffe. You're right. That, that's a good point. It's not a gaffe. And it wasn't also a planned statement like Reagan's evil empire, George W. Bush's axis of evil. Right. Some things that Donald Trump and Barack Obama probably have said. Um, and certainly Biden is not going to be on good terms ever with Putin, like Bush tried to be with um, or Reagan tried to be with Gorbachev or even Trump with Putin or Chairman Xi in China. Um, but I, I guess my, my question would be, does Russia really need to be, you know, do they really need a reason to tell Does Putin really need a reason to tell his constituents, I use that term constituents loosely, um, that the United States has always had these nefarious plans. I, I don't I don't know that it can make it any worse. I do realize there are ramifications to saying that. And I agree with you on that. I'm not saying it was perfect. And so in that sense, I understand why there had to be clarification, if not a walk back. Um, but I would say in the end, my biggest problem with the line is will there be any follow up in the sense that I don't believe that, that the president or his party's heart are still in this fight. You know, I, I think Republicans get pinned as being the pro-Putin party, which is absolutely absurd based upon, you know, a cable news host or two and a rogue young congressman or two. And yet yeah. every Republican that I respect or listen to in the House and Senate is as adamant about stopping Putin and siding with Ukraine as possible. Whereas on the left and the far left, you have people who they don't get the coverage, but the squad crowd are not interested at all in stopping Putin. They don't want to fund anything involving NATO. And the regular Democrats, I'm sure there are a few who are hawks, but most of them are just doing going along with Biden for political reasons. And I would assume that if Trump were president or Bush, they wouldn't be as reticent, they would be as um, likely to go along with this. And I also think that part of it is that Donald Trump was, again, I'd say wrongly considered a friend or ally of Putin. And if you're with Ukraine, you put your little silly flag up on Twitter, then you're basically standing against Donald Trump somehow. I think there's part of that. So. I just wish that there was some actual strategy and heart and interest behind it other than sanctions and weapons and such. And I think the American people would trust Biden a lot more, those who want to be involved in Ukraine, had he had there been some substance behind it. We saw in the State of the Union that after his eight minutes on Ukraine, which was great in some ways, he spent the next hour talking about progressive policy, which is that no one wants. Right. So in that same line, because I think we're, we're more in agreement than we're in disagreement, but along those same lines, I mentioned that this is sort of like a red line moment, uh, although not as nearly as stark as it was with Barack Obama and his failure to follow up on his declared, his publicly declare, declared red line. But it is a similar situation, right? If you call somebody a war criminal and then don't do anything about prosecuting the war crimes, or if you call some, if you, if you demand that somebody be removed from power, but don't do anything about doing that, you run the risk of looking and sounding impotent. Correct. And 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 I think that, again, not a gaffe, um, but a mistake. Yeah, I think it's a mistake. And I think it's a, um, I think it's an undisciplined mistake. And I think the fact that in 
both of these instances, the, the rapidity in which the White House started to try to back, you know, backpedal from both of these shows that Joe Biden is, you know, Joe Biden's not a very disciplined person, which I don't think anybody's really. A... <laughs> no, he's not. He's 35, 40 years of. He's not disciplined. Um, no, he's, we know that. A loose, he's a loose cannon. And, and this, right. And this is and then in, in, in some ways, people like that about Trump, that he was a loose cannon. I think that I've seen some people mention, you know, if you like this, there are some people on the left who like Biden's loose cannonism, <laughs> if you will. And if they like that, that's fine. But then they should have liked it with Donald Trump, too. You know, I think you got to be right. consistent. If you don't like loose cannonism, <laughs> then dislike it no matter who does it. And when it comes to this, you're right. It's it's a mistake. And if you're not going to follow up, because you're right again, Ed, war crimes, whether it's systematic murder of civilians, people getting shot in the head at close range while their hands are tied behind their backs, that if you're going to accuse Russia of that, you're right. It should oblige you, the West, NATO, to escalate the war, whatever that means, because there are barbarities out there. And if this man shouldn't be in power, then really we shouldn't have a fear of intensifying you know what we're doing there and i don't think there's any heart in that on the democrat side or part of the republican side but it can't continue like this you can't just say continue continue to do this and that i'd like to hear what i've heard from some people on tv a way that we can help ukraine win you know right the, the dickering and doodling around for months if we get into summer when there's wheat to be processed and stuff why not supply ukraine with weapons that can help it win, not just continue the fight, because neither side's capable of winning it right now. They seem to be locked into an escalating political, military, economic conflict that's going to go on indefinitely. And then you have an issue like, you know, Afghanistan or Vietnam, I suppose, in a right. civilized part of the world. Right. And and look, I mean, I think that um, that's a that's a, another issue that we're going to have to we're going to be ending up crawling up to at some point. Right. Is is. We don't want to. We don't want to get into shooting war with the Russians because that has that that becomes uh, a huge risk for um, broad annihilation. And I think this, <laughs> at that point nobody wins. You know, it's everybody's going to wind up losing, and um, and that's not what we want. What we want is Russia to go back to its own borders and to and to be impoverished enough to where they don't try anything like this again at least for another generation. Um, how how best to accomplish that? That brings me to another point that you are going to bring. We're going to, I'm going to get to Janet Yellen in a second, but I want to, I want to provide a segue because this is, I think, uh, I think it bolsters your argument that Janet Yellen should step down. And we're going to get to that. We're going to get to your point in that. But one of the frustrating aspects of the way that Biden and some of the other EU countries are managing this conflict is this continuous sort of incremental approach to ratcheting up sanctions on Putin. And I think the most stunning part of this has been the fact that even though we froze Russia's dollar reserves in the United States, and they, they froze it in, in, um, in Europe as well, a, they didn't lock Russia out of the SWIFT system, which they should have done just right off the bat because they didn't want to, they didn't want to damage uh, allies' economics by being able to not process payments properly with Russia. Um, and then B, even though they froze the dollar reserves, they were still allowing Russia to access them until uh, yesterday. Really, I mean, we're, we're, or until Monday. We were, we're recording this on a Wednesday, but until the fourth. 
Russia was able to access um, its cash reserve, its dollar reserves in the United States to make its debt payments. Now they changed that yesterday, but I mean we're talking seven weeks into this conflict, and I think at least six weeks since supposedly they were locked out of this. This is something under Janet Yellen's. It's it's part of her portfolio. the The decision not to uh, the decision to allow those um, exceptions to continue to be processed may not may have been made above Janet Yellen's head, probably likely was. But I mean, either case, when you're looking at that, either Yellen was going along with it, which she should resign over that, or she was being told to do it over over her objections, which should have prompted a resignation. I mean, that's a that's stupid. Why why freeze the cash reserves only to allow, allow Russia to continue to access them? That, that's an aspect that I didn't even get into in my article on Yellen. Yeah. You're, you're correct. This is also the White House that said sanctions, well, they said for a month that sanctions deter, and then Biden in Belgium acknowledged that, no, sanctions actually never deter. They, they um, you know, they won't stop Putin. So I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not an expert on every little aspect of sanctions, but I don't I think the White House even knows what kind of sanctions they want and what, what their, what their long-term goal is. What I, what I will also say before we move on to Yellen though, is, I don't want anyone to think who's listening to this podcast will be a diverse group of opinions. No one's talking boots on the ground. That's the scariest word apparently right. in the world now. Um, even though we have an all volunteer army, so it's not you know Vietnam. I think it's important to note that we're not drafting kids out of law school and such. But the case for escalating any of our intervention against Putin is not you know. I've heard people like my old friend Greg Gutfeld, who attacked me on email, called me a you know whatever name they like to call people who, you know, he called, he said I was moral preening or um, trying to get an emotional response because I followed up on his comments a few weeks ago. You know, escalating a war is not looking for an emotional response. I mean, we know what's going on. There's really no nobility <laughs> in pushing policies that are going to um, make the war continue and condemn thousands or millions, hopefully not millions, thousands to die. Right. I would say escalation of this conflict would not, of course not commit American forces, but I think it would commit the West. You know, when I say West, I mean basically everywhere west of Poland, I guess, um, and north of Mexico. Sure, <laughs> you know, okay. Whatever the West is, um, it would commit commit the West, the wealthier West, the more liberal democratic West, to defeating a dictator and the wider movement that he represents, making conquest, nineteenth century style conquest, acceptable again. And you know who else likes that kind of nineteenth century? style conquest, China, which people on the isolationist right have been telling us for years is more of a problem than Russia. And they are, I think, long-term. Long-term, so yes. This is like a preseason NFL game against Russia compared to the Super Bowl against China, if you had to deal with that, which no one wants. So I think, you know, it's peace through strength in many ways. And, you know, these kind of things will enable us to avoid much more difficult, horrifying conflicts in the future if we just push a little farther. But I think we can leave it at that. Well, look, I mean, uh, I, 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 I was saying after a week or so of this that we should be we should make this issue less about Vlad um, about us worrying about what Vladimir Putin might do, mm -hmm. and more about Vladimir Putin wondering what we're worrying about what we're going to do, and and I think that we have allowed him to dictate those terms based on very loose talk about nuclear warfare and um at a certain point in time uh, we might need to show him that we're taking that kind of crap seriously and and that 
there's going to be consequences for making those sorts of threats. Uh, I don't know what that what that entails, but it entails more than seizing people's yachts. Okay, I mean, <laughs> I, I would agree. They get very excited about seizing their yachts and whatever other debauchery goes on at those yachts. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the 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 Miami yachts of the oligarchs doesn't get me too uh, excited about you know defeating Putin. <laughs> <laughs> is there a connection there that i'm missing no i think but i think the i think the miami yachts would make a great uh sports team yeah. name i'm just saying that the miami yachts yeah, that's, the that's miami yachts gonna, are taking the field um change the, the marlins baseball team to the miami yachts well it, it, it certainly works better than the washington Co commodores oh god or the cleveland guardians <laughs> are the cleveland guardians oh my gosh oh, yeah god. Although I do think that the Washington Commies is is really actually a, a pretty darn good description of what Washington what's, Commies is that what you said Washington Commies yeah I mean Commodores what else are you oh, going to yeah. call them the Commies they could have pink uniforms pinko uniforms pinko uniforms there you go pinko uniforms or just Amber red helmet or just red um, yeah right at any rate um, good Soviet red and and uh, uh, and Marxist yellow um, <laughs> I'm sorry. We'll, we'll, we'll move on from the sports stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I see that we, we should talk about your reason for, um, for demanding Yellen step down. I, I, I wanted to frame that out just so make a, uh, make a statement about, I, I, I agree with you. She needs to go. She should have left on her own at this point in time, especially after all of the economic fumbling that they've done here, which I think is more your point. A lot of people should have left on their own, Ed, but no one ever does. Maybe some people they used to. resignations. They used, they used to, to, right? That used to be the thing. Hey, look, I mean, they're they're overruling me. They're not listening to my advice. I'm going to go someplace yeah. else. Rum, no Rumsfeld, anymore. Rumsfeld, yeah. Uh, um, Rumsfeld, but after... Uh, yeah, I know. It took a while. <laughs> took a while for Rumsfeld, yeah. Well, the genesis of my piece was that, believe it or not, I, I entertain all of you, and I listen to a stirring podcast, and I use that term lightly, Um between Larry Summers and Ezra Klein, New York Times podcast last sure. week. And Summers has been correct. You know, he's been taking the same side that you and I and every conservative and moderate has been taking for the last year, that inflation is a major problem. And Team Biden and his progressive acolytes in the media, like Klein, said no. And Klein said last week, you know what, I think Summers at all were correct. And um, inflation is here and it's not good. So they talked for 73 minutes. I had it on 2.5 speed because that made it last only 29 minutes, apparently, I think, you know, <laughs> and um, well, they both, I mean, Summers is for a guy who's probably very smart is one of the most laborious speakers I've ever heard and, and very slow and, you know, academic 2.5 was good. Yeah, exactly. The academic, the intellectual stutter. If, if um, you, if you come out of, if you come out of the academia or the U S Senate, that's the way that goes. I mean, it's the John, yeah. it's the John Forbes carry, um, oh God. you know, John that's why that's why you have to appreciate uh the occasional um jim jordan or someone who speaks really fast because you know yes the opposite um so yeah yellen has been wrong since day one um and so sure the entire administration should be held to account i think javier becerra and 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 mayorkas and others should have lost their jobs a long time ago but in this case she's like 75 years old i mean what on earth go to miami and hang out on a yacht lady I mean, it's we've like, got a, we've got some extra yachts, actually. Right. What go spend time <laughs> with your grandchildren. I mean, she's been an, she's been bad. She's been wrong on everything. She was a Fed chair. That's why she got the job. She was iffy in that. She's been wrong on inflation. And I, I think my, one of my the angle I took is that 
I'm not fully blaming her because I do believe this National Economic Council, which has a lot of people in it that are in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, probably overrule her on some things. They're just more aggressive. Uh, but they also never experienced inflation of the 70s. So they may not have understand it. Um, I, would, I didn't experience the inflation of the 70s either. But you see them on TV, the Brian Deeses, the Cecilia Rouses of the world, even Jared Bernstein. And they, they're more left-wing than Yellen probably. So yeah. they're not going to go because no one knows who they are really. But as the person I quoted here says, you know, there are too many young imbeciles running the show. Yeah. <laughs> and older people are overwhelmed by people who are trying to make a name for themselves and climb the ladder. So right. yeah. I think she should go for very many reasons. And the Larry Summers information helped me realize that Yellen is the top of the sphere. She's the buck's just off with her. I don't see her on TV much anymore. I think she was hanging out with Bono talking about, you know, climate change or something last week. That's kind of not in her bailiwick. Right. But I'd say it's an easy choice to get rid of her and inject some life into the Biden administration. And I don't know it'll happen. And I think if they pick someone, it's not going to be Summers. But there are certainly some better options than she. Well, I would suggest Jason Furman. Right. I mean, yeah, Jason, yeah, yeah. Jason yeah. Furman is uh, 52 years old. He's only slightly younger than I am. Um, he's, a, he's about seven years younger than I am. Um, <laughs> he's 52 years old. There you go. Um, but he was uh, Barack Obama's chief economist, and he's been very clear eyed on this. I mean, again, yes. not somebody I would pick for my cabinet because obviously we no, have this is a liberal, liberal administration. Right. A liberal administration. Jason Furman, I think, has also been proven right. Uh, repeatedly on this. He's talked about inflation. He won't get picked because he's been critical of Joe Biden. Right. That's the problem. You won't get picked if you've been critical, right? Right. Uh, because he says that they're full of crap about the causes of inflation. They need to get... Same as you said, same as Summers is saying, same as Summers explicitly told Ezra Klein, is you have to start looking at the facts and be realistic. This is what's happening. This is why you have inflation. Quit trying to blame shift it. And this is something Jason Furman's been talking about over and over and over again. So if you really want to improve things, and maybe you don't put them in a treasury, but maybe you put them back in as, uh, you know, your um, chair of uh, the National Economic, you know, National Economic Right, council. I was going to say, put him back as the chair of the council and, you know, get him on TV a little more. He certainly fits the bill. I, I just looked him up to make sure I knew where he was from. He's from yeah. New York City and he went to Harvard. So he already fits the bill of every Democrat's dream. Um, yeah. And and honestly, Austin Goolsby, who I mentioned, you you see him on yeah. Fox News, which means he's more moderate. He's from Chicago. He's a sharp guy and likable. He's another option. He worked for Obama. Um, they're not going to pick, you know, Ed Morrissey. I realize that. Um, well, but, I wouldn't pick Ed Morrissey for that position. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not qualified right. for that. Okay. I can, well, I can, not, cer well, well, I can certainly comment pick, on um, it. Yeah. They're not going to pick Larry Kudlow. Okay. So yeah, they're know. not going to pick Kudlow. They're not. They're not even going to pick uh, Jim Cramer. Right. Who's very left wing. But you know. Yeah. You, when it comes to inflation, the economy, COVID, these are things that you think the Biden administration would like to remedy before the election. It would help them. Like, I feel like half the time I'm writing, I'm giving the Biden team advice that I shouldn't give them because I'm trying to help them. Now, obviously, I'm trying to help the country, which right. maybe that's the problem. The Biden administration doesn't want to help the country. I don't know. But you'd like to think they want to help themselves and the country. And if they don't, they're going to continue to lose. And the country's going to lose, though, too, at least for the next six months and maybe for the next two and a half years. Yep. Yeah, I, I, exactly. I mean, that's the same. You know, I, I always try to approach economics, at least, from a really fact-based. Uh, Heaven forbid. I, I, you know, because it's because I'm a data guy. Right. So if I'm looking at I mean, I got people griping at me during the Trump years about 
I'd mm -hmm. read the I'd read through the job report and I go, this is not the good news that people are saying it is. And right. these are the reasons why. And people would say, oh, you know, they're, they're lying about that. They're lying about these stats. You look at this. It's like, OK, I mean, I guess we could go on the whole idea that all data is lie. Right. <laughs> but I I, on the other hand, would prefer to just work from the data and let the data tell the story. It's some lying data, lying data, lying data. Um, and then, you know. And then, you know, the administrations change and that administration says the, you know, oh, that, that, those, that data doesn't tell the truth. That data is not telling the whole truth. The economy is wonderful. It's a great economy. It's a great economy. Well, you, you can make the economy anything you want it to be. Barack Obama yeah. thinks he had a great economy. He didn't. Okay. No. No. And, and, and you know, there are parts of, parts of what Trump said that were correct and certainly had a better economy than Obama and Biden. But there yes. are times where you, you massage the data and you take the angle you can take to present it as good. You know, and the thing is, is that what people miss is that when you're looking at these monthly job reports, they're a very big deal because they're, it's a, there's a lot of data in them and they're done on a monthly basis. But what you really have to be looking at is like trends of over four, five, six months, right? The trends in this administration aren't good. And, you know, they're talking about, well, it's 400,000 jobs added, which is in a normal economy, blockbuster. It is. It just is, right? But, but, where, but where are you coming from? Right. We're, we're still 2 million jobs short of where we were at in February 2020, and right. that doesn't even account for all the jobs we should have been adding due to population growth. We're ah, probably about point. 3, 3.2 million jobs short of where we where we should be right at the moment, right? <clears throat> 3.2. I would say 3.2 million jobs short of where, where we need to be if you're talking about a 60% uh, um, uh, you know labor force participation rate, which is a little low. You know, 62, 63 percent, you're talking about maybe 130,000 or, you know, excuse me, 1.3 million or so more jobs for a uh, population growth of, well, over two years. It'd really be four million jobs. So now you're talking more like around three and a half, four million that we're short. I, I don't have the calculations in front of me, but that, but that's what we should be looking at. And instead, you've got people talking, gassing on about full employment, which they did in the after the 2008, you know, in I, was the just gonna, I was just going to go there. They, they both Biden and Obama came into office at a low point, And so that the numbers they're going to give you are just misleading from where they started. Right. And and they talk about, well, we're at full employment. We're economically speaking, we're at full employment because the unemployment rate is, you know, below 4%, except that it's not counting. There's an overhang that's not being counted, just the same as it was 12 years ago, right? Or 13 years ago. Same, same exact um, issue. You've got a number of jobs just simply hasn't come back. And the reason why you know that is because wages aren't, aren't going up. They're not, you're not gaining on wages uh, in light of inflation. In fact, right now, because inflation is so high, it's trailing it by quite a bit. Um, you don't have real wage growth. Nate Silver was talking about this. If you're looking at that data, you can see we're not at full employment. There, now, there are structural reasons for that. There's a lot of workers who are just simply refusing to come back to work um, because they don't like the conditions under which they're going to have to take employment. And they think that they can get by without it, at least for a short period of time. You need to change those conditions so you incentivize people to work. You need to change the conditions so you incentivize businesses to invest in things like distribution and supply chains, right? <laughs> you need to, uh, and to return uh, certain supply chains back to the United States so you're not relying on... Um, foreign sources of supplies and that sort of thing. And this administration, just like the Obama administration, all of its regulation, all of its efforts in that 
are exactly in the opposite direction. And it's no more true than it is on energy. And of course, today, as we're talking, I think we may have mentioned this earlier, you had that ridiculous um, hearing about price gouging at the House. House Democrats held this price gouging, I think it was House Oversight, uh, did the price gouging thing uh, because oil companies aren't producing enough oil when the first act that Joe Biden did when he came into office was to make it incredibly more difficult <laughs> to produce. And a year ago, several months ago, just less than a, less than a year ago, you had Democrats haranguing oil executives uh, about why they weren't cutting back production like, like their uh, counterparts in Europe were doing. Yeah, I, they, they you had a, you had a post about Jan Schakowsky from Chicago, who represents yeah. a very wealthy, very liberal district that they spent the last year. I think you used the word haranguing oil executives to cut back production and end fracking. And now they want more. So I, I, I said this to you in the uh, in the green room, I've always wanted That's to use right. that word, in the green room, which is the same room I'm sitting in right now, interestingly enough, um, that when it comes to oil policy and guns, it, I, with very few exceptions, maybe some border Democrats, maybe some guys from the, the occasional rural Democrat. Most of these Democrats and liberals have no clue what they're talking about on guns and energy and oil production. And they really should just stop. You know, they, they may even know how to make some points and other issues, but this is just you watch her on CNBC. You watch them talk about it. They're just clueless, hypocritical, regressive, disastrous, ignominious and all the other adjectives that I can think of. <laughs> When it comes to their talk, their, their, their talking points on this. And I knew they'd bring the oil executives in to be harangued, even though the oil executive, gosh, when I watch sports on TV or whatever, and I see the oil commercials, all they talk about is climate change and green this. And I'm like, these are these right wing big oil companies. They sound like they're coming out of Bernie Sanders' mouth half the time. So yep. I think they're just confused. Yeah. Democrat there's a lot of there's a lot of confusion I, we, you know we're almost out of time but we, we should wrap up on, on the on the whole democrats uh confused thing but with another one of your posts here um americans don't want what aoc is selling uh this is one that came up i think it was monday's column if i'm not mistaken um yes. uh tell us what alexandria cortez uh, alexandria ocasio cortez excuse me is slinging and why uh why americans aren't buying it She's, she's selling uh, uh, baseball cards and uh, laundry detergent. No, I'm just kidding. Um, New and improved. <laughs> yeah, she, she, she's, she had an interview last week with a, a liberal New York station where she basically said that Biden is, 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 you know, the usual. He's too centrist, Joe Biden. He's, you know, Joe Manchin's the worst person on the face of the earth. And there's an old boys club in the Democratic Party where they sit around smoking and drinking and they're in the back rooms and they leave out poor AOC and her crowd and they just do whatever's best for big business and whatever, you know. And, and, it's her, and it's angering young people. And, and nothing she said is true. Um, if anything, people on the right would argue that Biden has catered much more to the House progressives and the uh, even the squad in many things. Now, he's not going to cater to them when it comes to the things that she's prioritizing most, which are, drumroll, uh, voting rights, uh, Green New Deal, and uh, uh, what's the... Uh, her favorite uh, student, student debt student debt student debt yeah well they did that just an hour ago they just extended the uh, moratorium on student loan payments but they want to cancel student debt bernie sanders i think every three days bernie sanders literally tweets cancel student debt all of it and then you know everyone who has a brain says okay thanks old man um so she's she wants all that and every poll says no one wants that um i think i cited a gallup poll or an nbc poll you know these are mainstream media polls 
that show that Americans are actually much more concerned about inflation and crime and the border crisis and foreign affairs and the overall economy and schools than they are about her issues, which are like 13, 14, and 15 out of 15. So right. she's just out of touch. No one's buying what she's selling, so to speak, except for extreme left-wingers in, in urban locales, and that's her district. So right. she is representing her district. And I, I think it's important to note that, to be fair, that if someone from rural Wyoming or rural Nebraska or what have you, or rural Arkansas is saying something that maybe seems extreme, they're representing their district too. So just like she is and the rest, but voters are begging Democrats to shift to the center. They don't want electric vehicles. Can you imagine going up to the, some good old boy in rural America and tell them you're trading in your Silverado, your F-150? Go ask your neighbor this, Ed, when the show's over. You want to trade in your Silverado for a nice electric car that costs $92,000? But it'll get you to Whole Foods quicker, and it's, well, it's Whole Foods. <laughs> I was supposed to say, I, this isn't really a Whole Foods kind of community. I'm just no, nor I'm is mine. Tell you that right off the bat, it's not really. And I, there's nothing wrong with Whole Foods. I've been in Whole Foods; they're great, actually. You lived in Minneapolis, of course you have. Yeah, well, I was in California last week, and I, oh, I actually I, I went into a, a Whole Foods out there, and that was it. Was very nice. It was very nice. Oh, very nice. But I mean, people out here is like, we're going to go to the grocery store. <laughs> We're gonna go to the store. we're gonna go to the Win Dixie or the Piggly Wiggly. Uh, HEB out here. Gotta go H-E-B. to the HEB. Well, that's higher end. That's a little higher end. That's like uh, Coburn's here in, in uh, Minnesota or or, or, or High V or. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's like High V. It's like High V actually. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know the electric cars. That when when you're talking about electric cars, you're losing. I just I'm sorry. That's I don't know if they do it for politics or the people at the White House are really really that insular that they think Americans are interested in electric cars which are unaffordable and not that good. And frankly, don't they mine those lithium batteries in third world countries and destroy the environment there? Lithium, I mean, cobalt. Yeah. And that's what, yeah. by the way, Hunter Biden was involved in. I, you know. of course. He was also involved to go full circle in oligarchs and yachts. Oligarchs and yachts. <laughs> and other things. You know, I used to play Yahtzee when I was a kid. I, I didn't realize Yahtzee. it was going to, I didn't realize it was going to, it was going to prepare me for a life in politics. All right. Anyway, on that note, AJ Kaufman, he's not on Twitter because he's smart, <laughs> but you can yeah. find him at alpha, alphanewsmn.org, alphanewsmn.org, and, um, and uh, be sure to check him out at lidblog.com too, by the way, because he also contributes there. He's at Arut Shiva, which is where we got the um, uh, uh, article, Ukraine. where I got the article, Biden. was Biden's Warsaw gaffe so awful. Uh, AJ's all over the place, so and he's here. On a regular basis, too. So, AJ, thanks so much. I'm in the green room. I'm in the green room. He's in the green room, which may or may not be green, but he's in the green room right now. AJ, thanks so much for for being with us today. We'll talk to you again soon. All right, Ed. Thanks for having me. All right, folks. Stay tuned for more from The Ed Morrissey Show coming up.